The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, we're back, and this is going to be episode 65 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, movie podcast. We're back to the sex comedy series. We got that full and swing now. We started with Bob, Carol, Ted, and Alice last week, and now we're into some decidedly lowbrow stuff compared to that movie. I am your host, Lee Russell, and this is my co-host, and I happen to know he's on someone's all-time top 10 worms list. Daniel Harper, how you doing, sir? I'm doing quite well, and uh, I'm hoping to one day experience my very own scary cave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're going to be uh, tackling the cheerleaders and one night only later on, uh, but we do have a little teeny bit of uh, house cleaning to go through first. I'm going to go to a comment from a few weeks back. I can't remember what episode this was on. I think it was whenever we started our first joke about the paywall. I think it was like two episodes back. <laughs> it was a while. It was it was back. Was that? It might have been Stridulum, or it might have been the uh, movie sequel, the sequel sphere, or anything we did afterwards. It's one of those yeah, two. I think it was Stridulum, but it, it doesn't matter because nothing here actually refers to the actual movies we watched. Uh, my friend Basement Beer Review said, uh, "Will the paywall give me exclusive access to deals on Sherry's berries? Fruit is useless unless it's been drizzled with junk and sent through the mail using Stamps.com, of course." And uh, really, that website only works if it's hosted by Squarespace. Mm-hmm. And you have to get the audio, uh, the audible trial or whatever uh, yeah. as well. There's a podcast I've been listening to that's actually doing ads for libertarianism.org. Oh, really? I just, I just, it almost makes me want to stop listening to the podcast. Like, I'm just like, why? Like, why are you doing this to me? You know, you're making me, you know, listen to your learn about the issues that are affecting America. It's like, go fuck yourself. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we haven't quite decided what you get from for, through the paywall yet, uh, other than more of us. So, you know, uh, we're, we're still we're still in the planning stages for the paywall. But, you know, once we finally uh, introduce it, of course. The very special bonus content where we will review the same movies we discuss in the, in the normal episodes, but we'll do them sober. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that that might be horrific. I don't know. If, <laughs> some of these movies, I don't know if we could do them sober. But yeah, thank you, Basement Beer Review. Sorry I missed your comment like a few weeks back, but uh, I barely ever check the YouTube uh, videos because barely anyone ever watches them anymore. They've all sort of, they've all sort of learned, to, hey, I can go to Podbean and I can go to our Facebook uh, group and, and find them there. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the YouTube stuff is really just the vestigial organ of this podcast. It's just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, it's... It exists. It was. It's a part of the old life, and you know, part of what what you still do. But uh, you know, we're moving on. We're moving up in technology by removing video content. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might even be on Stitcher now. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I was confused because when I, I sent in a message to um, uh, Mike Murphy on badass boobs and body counts, and he said, "By the way, you guys should check that podcast out." And they're on iTunes and Stitcher and stuff. And I'm like, "Are we really on Stitcher?" 
does the Stitcher just like pick up feeds on its own and, and not tell you, or it maybe maybe Podbean kind of automatically feeds towards that, you know, and then you just have to go claim it. I don't know. This that, shows that, the amount of like like promotional effort we put into this podcast. Yeah. We're like, hold on, are we on Stitcher? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, you know, <laughs> so um, I, I don't understand uh, iPhones and cell phones and tablets and stuff. So, and I, I from what I understand, Stitcher is kind of exclusively that. Stitcher is sort of like a subscription service. It's sort of like, yeah. like the idea is it's it's not even like a subscription service. It's more like a. The, like the idea is they're like a curated list of podcasts that like so not just anybody can get on it but in practice just about anybody can get on it you know so it's kind of like you have to submit or you know maybe your podcast hosting I don't know does anyone listen to this actually care about the the, the back end of how you do a podcast because I could talk about it for a while I, I've, I, I've thought a lot about podcasting and such but you know I would be interested if, if any of our listeners are uh, willing to take the time to just let us know where they hear us from. I know Mike Murphy was like getting us from some weird downloader that takes like iTunes feeds or something like that because uh, he let me know that uh, a few episodes back I uploaded the wrong MP3 briefly and then and quickly yeah. fixed it, but he had already da- automatically downloaded the episode before I had fixed it. So I'm just always interested in like not only like how are people listening, like what technology they're using, but like how do we fit in your life, you know? Mm-hmm. Because for me, I always when I start a new podcast or when I think about adding a new podcast, it's almost like I need like a little slot, like an hour or two a week that like you have to fit into my life for an hour or two a week, you know? Yeah. And so I'm always curious, like what are people doing, like you know? Because I'm often like washing dishes or cooking or whatever when I'm listening to podcasts and that sort of thing. So maybe uh, go on our Facebook group and let us know, you know? What do you to tell us what you're doing when you're listening to our voices in your yeah. ear holes and uh, <laughs> saying naughty things about boobs for mm-hmm. the next few weeks. So, <laughs> Yeah, okay. So um, we'll uh, quickly go to what we've watched. I know uh, Daniel hasn't got anything else. He had a busy week. So <laughs> I've, uh, watched, I've watched nothing this week. <laughs> I've done some reading, but I haven't watched anything. I've been you know, just uh, you know, catching up on some other stuff. but. Yeah. Uh, the only thing uh, worth mentioning that I watched this week was Green Room by uh, Jeremy Soliner. He also did uh, Blue Ruin uh, that we reviewed in the past. And, uh, that piece of shit. He that, only that, does movies with colors in the title. Is that the way it works? No, but uh, that's that's the way it's been going the last two movies anyway. He'll, um, he'll do the Red Dawn, the next Red Dawn remake. Oh, know? fuck no. If he does that, then I'm not going to watch any more of his movies. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's got the, the lead actor in Blue Ruin, uh, make whatever his name was. Uh, he's he's like a supporting role in this one. It's a really interesting story. It's it's sort of a horror suspense. It's got Patrick Stewart in it, and it's basically about this punk rock band that uh, gets a gig in a skinhead bar, and uh, the gig goes fairly well, all things considered. And then one of the people in the band witnesses something they shouldn't have witnessed, and then they find themselves trapped in the titular green room and basically the bar, and they're surrounded by the skinheads, and the skinheads can't let them leave, and uh, so they're desperately trying to find a way out. And it's just, it's an intense, brutal, and very well done, very well thought out uh, suspense picture uh, with really uh, three-dimensional villains. They're not just uh, racist skinhead uh, stereotypes. They're not just silly uh, fucking cartoons. They're actually, they, they, they come off as real people trying to figure out how they're going to win like you see conversations between them and stuff, trying to figure out how they're going to kill these people and dispose of the bodies. <laughs> so uh, 
it's actually pretty interesting. And Patrick Stewart's pretty menacing. Although the um, promotional stuff for it try to make tries to make Patrick Stewart out to be like some sort of uh, brilliant psychopathic murderer almost. Like, oh, he you're you're gonna hate him, you're gonna loathe him, but you're always gonna remember him. And it's like, no, he's actually kind of uh, he's sort of the main villain, but he's also kind of like a background player. Like everybody's plays a really uh, strong part in this movie, so uh, it's very much worth watching. It's already on my top list, uh, top movies of the year list for uh, this year. Very, very good. I'm definitely going to check that out. I saw some of the advertising for it. and I mean, you know, anything Patrick Stewart, I'm at least interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it looked, it, you know, your recommendation, Your uh, I saw you post about it on Facebook, and I was like, all right, fuck, I need to, like, make the effort to see that. So uh, I will. I, I say that a lot on the show where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see that, and I put it on the long list of movies that I will eventually see. This <laughs> is one I think will go towards the top of my list. I'm, I'm actually very interested in this. So. I and i got to say, man, Patrick Stewart, is this guy, he's like, like, 70. He's 75. Is he is he bathing in the blood of, like, virgins or something like that? Because that dude does not look fucking... It's, it's, it's a friendship with Ian McKellen. That's the, you <laughs> know... The, yeah. <laughs> when you're that close a friend with uh, Ian McKellen, that's that's just how you do it, you know. Uh, whenever they're whenever they're holding hands, they share uh, complex plo- protein strings. Yeah, but yeah, but these these it. ones also have the fountain of youth in them, apparently because yeah, uh, no, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> for me, uh, Patrick Stewart will always be John Luke Picard. You know, that's you know, mm-hmm. and he's such TNG was such an important show for me growing up. But Patrick Stewart is just brilliant, and uh, also the uh, stuff he's done about violence against women. Um, mm-hmm. in, his, in his personal life, and uh, he's spoken yeah. out very eloquently about that stuff. And I mean, I just I love the. I think I adore that man. I think he is uh, just astonishing. So I will definitely make the effort to see that in the next couple of weeks. First thing I saw Patrick Stewart in was Excalibur, by the way, as a kid, and, <laughs> and, I, and I've loved him ever since. I thought he was awesome in that. So I also I, had a the first young, thing, the first young thing, Liam Neeson as well. <laughs> first thing I saw him in, other than uh, uh, other than uh, Star Trek, was uh, Dune. Dune, right, right. Dune, which also has uh, Dean Stockwell from Quantum Leap. So I had mm-hmm. that like nice little connection. I'm like, oh, yeah, like part part of two of these figures from my childhood, just uh, you know, both in the same movie. Yeah, he's been which, around. He's been around forever. Yes. He he might very well be like uh, Christopher Lee and not die until you know uh, late late in his life. Like he, he's just he looks so fucking youthful, man. I mean, you could totally see him having another like 15, 20 years in him. I mean, he's yeah. it's not just always seventy five, and he's kind of, but he's playing like gangsters and shit. Like he's still, he's still bringing it. So yeah. there's there's no complaint on my end. Um, he's had a, an amazing career. We should just do a whole episode just talk about Patrick Stewart. We should. Um, I'm I'm up for that actually. Like, just like as like a sort of a break episode or something between series. Just do like a Patrick Stewart. Like pick some movies of his and then do them. Yeah. I mean, uh, bring back the uh, talk about an actor feature we used to. Mm-hmm. We just sort of did, actually. <laughs> we did. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, I think we can move on to our two movies. Didn't we have? Didn't we have a, a, a question you were going to ask me about uh, Bob and Carrollton and Alice? Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, I'm glad you reminded me the second time tonight. Uh, I've already <laughs> forgotten twice. Um, you've been you've been you've been really partying for Canada Day, haven't you? Oh yeah, just just out there with the fireworks. God damn. Um, I'm glad they're over with. I, I didn't yeah, want them. People were still letting off fireworks like 10 minutes before we started recording here in my neighborhood. So you're not allowed to do that. You're not Canadian. The 4th of July is a week long celebration in the United States. Yeah. You guys got to hog everything. You got to do everything bigger. I see how it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the question I posed to you on our Facebook group, they must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Is the son of Bob and Carol, does he grow up to be Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties? 
And I mean, the answer is, yeah, that, that kind of is actually kind of socio-politically what happened is that mm-hmm. the, the, the children of the hippies kind of turned against that and they became like these materialist douchebags. I mean, you know, like, I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, a, I wish I had a funny answer, but, but yeah, that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Um, these things do kind of, do kind of run in cycles. And I mean, there really was that sense of that. And I think that a lot of that comes out of the, you know, one of the things that you kind of have come back to a couple of times is, you know, after the, the kind of the, the flower children basically lost the war, they lost their battle. Vietnam kept raging. Nixon was elected. And, and, you know, there was kind of this sense of, uh, you know, well, let's just, you know, the, the Malays, the 70s Malays, which kind of led to, you know, Reagan's morning in America. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, basically you're talking about 10, 10, 12 years of difference. And yeah, that's exactly what happened. Like the children of the hippies embraced conservative values and embraced, you know, the Cold War and all that kind of shit and just completely rebelled against their parents by becoming as straight-laced and tie-wearing douchebags as they could be. And we are still living with the after effects of that. So. And when you and when you think about Bob Carroll, Ted and Alice, they're not necessarily um, well, especially uh, just Bob and Carroll. They're not necessarily hippies per se. They're they're more yuppies almost. Like they they just sort of like squares who have kind of moved into this. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of you know referring a little bit. I mean, you know, one of the things we talked about last week was you know the the fact that these guys are not you know kind of what they're they're trying to embrace this culture from the outside to some degree. And I mean, I don't want to get back into that necessarily, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but you're right They're They're definitely not, they have their blinkers and they have their, their privileges and they have all that kind of stuff. And I mean, it's certainly, it is not at all unreasonable to think that like that kid grows up to be a Reagan Republican, you know, like going like writing speeches for Ronald Reagan in, in 12 years. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that's exactly the era that you're talking about because that kid would be like, what, like 10 years old in 1969 or so. Yeah. How do you think that kid was, you know, something like that? I'd say I'd say nine or ten, yeah. Yeah, so I mean that kid will be twenty one, twenty two. He'll be just graduating college around the time the Reagan's elected. Yeah. Boom, could very easily go and work for the Reagan campaign. Yeah, in nineteen eighty. Yeah, that was just a weird thought that occurred to me. I was, yeah. I was watching that. I was like, I mean, it's almost it's almost so obvious that I didn't like you asked me uh, on Facebook, and I'm like, well, yeah, of course. Like it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like duh. <laughs> Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me what you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast, known to be the source of life since Eve, can be deadly weapons? And body counts. The Mathematics of Murder and Menace. The BB and BC Podcast is your source for exploitation film discussion of B-movies. You can find the show on iTunes and Stitcher Radio by searching for BB and BC Podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly from the show's website located at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com. Let's go to work. Hey, yeah, this is Rob Zombie. And when you're not watching my wife's flat ass deflate even more on every subsequent film I put her in, you should be listening to They Must Be Destroyed Outside. Movie podcast, yeah! Mars News podcast!
Christian Bale as Batman. And when I'm not running the streets with Rock Rotham, I'm listening to it. must be destroyed on sight. A movie podcast. Where's everything? Where's Rachel Dash? Hello, I am Adai Argento, and when I am not making a movie involving my daughter being naked and spreading her butt cheeks for my camera, I am listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a move of a podcast. Scusi. So now we can move on to our first movie, and this is The Cheerleaders from 1973. This is The Common Cheerleader, an American phenomenon. Her breasts are usually full. Her waist, basically narrow. Her thighs, incredibly creamy. Her lips are moist and often occupied. Statistics show that the more active the cheerleader, the more successful the team. Well, has your sex life improved any since you made the team? Yes, Captain. I'd like to get all the cheerleaders out of last period every day. Every day? We have to get together for a little warm-up. Is it my turn? It's fair to assume that if three cheerleaders can lead a team to six victories, imagine what six cheerleaders can do. Mom, Dad, I made the team! Come huddle with the cheerleaders, they will do anything to make their team win. by Paul Glickler, written by Paul Glickler, Richard Lerner, Tad Richards, and Ace Bandage. <laughs> uh, obviously this a pseudonym. Really, this is purely a film that required four writers. So, yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, the dialogue alone needed four, four writers. Uh, uh, Ace Bandage is obviously a pseudonym and probably the best pseudonym other than uh, one of the people in the cast here, and we'll get to him very quickly. Uh, Stephanie Fondue is uh, Jeannie, Denise Dilloway as Claudia, Jovita Bush as Bonnie, 
Brandy Woods as Debbie, Claire Dia, uh, also known as Sandy Evans as Susie, Kimberly Hyde as Patty, uh, Richard Meat Whistle <laughs> as John, that's obviously not his real name, Jonathan Jacobs as Norm, uh, Raul Hoffnug as Novi, Patrick Wright as Coach Gannon, Terry Teague as Isabel, and yeah, we don't need any other of the people in the cast there, so uh, I'll throw it over to you for the uh, summary there, Daniel. Sure. This will be shorter than a lot of the other ones that you've heard me do. And you know how like, usually I really like look up the cast members and really kind of go into detail on stuff? I did none of that this time. So um, feel free to uh, dot me points on the uh, on the podcast hosting professionalism here. Yeah. But um, here we go. The Cheerleaders, 1973. In a world where high school girls look to be in their mid-20s and rhythmically bouncing on the upper thighs of a football player's sufficient activity to create the semblance of orgasm, the titular cheerleaders rule the roost at Amorosa High. Jeannie, one of the many losers at the school who has yet to ascend to the title of cheerleader, looks on their shenanigans from afar until she decides to join up with the squad. Allowed on the squad due to a bet between two of the other members about whether or not she'll manage to lose her virginity before the end of the season, wacky shenanigans ensue, beginning with a surreal hazing sequence in which Jeannie has to take a shower in the boys' locker room and culminating in a plot by the girls to suck all the sexual energy out of an opposing football team in order to make them lose their game. Does our heroine manage to get a rock stop before the end of the season? Listener, some mysteries I shall not reveal in a simple plot story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> short and sweet. Uh, short and sweet. And yet, I think I got about 80% of the plot, uh, despite yeah, that. Yeah, you know? pretty much. Uh, I gotta say, I love this film. Uh, there, there's definitely some problems with it, but they're all kind of, you know, forgivable problems, I think. I think the first time I was introduced to this to this film was actually by my uh, best friend back in our 20s. Uh, he's like, have you ever seen this fucking film? I was like, no, i never heard of it. And he's like, showed it to me. I was like, wow. It's essentially softcore porn. This watches like hardcore porn with the sex scenes cut out. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, honestly, it, it kind of has the sort of same atmosphere to a certain degree as, like, Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls, you know? like that's I, I definitely was thinking of that watching this film, no question. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is almost kind of like a linchpin. This is really sort of, like, more of the sort of proto-sex uh, comedy as far as, like, the 80s stuff goes. Because this is almost like the sort of kind of the linchpin between, like, those beach party films where it was all, you know, skimpy clothing and innuendo. But here, they just throw that all over the window, and it's, it's, it's silly dialogue, same sort of kind of silly dialogue you see in, like, beach party films. But now it's, like, double entendres and lots and lots of nudity and no plot, of course. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I'll say really painless. I mean, you know, it's, it's a, there, there's, some, there's some really interesting stuff going on in some of the, cinema, some, some of the actual cinema, and I'll, and I, but I'll, I want to wait just a minute. I want to kind of give overall thoughts. It's a it's a painless movie. It's it's kind of fun to watch. <laughs> I've seen some people kind of online. I was kind of reading some reviews and some some you know just kind of user reviews on IMDb and stuff. And people will talk about the people. A people summarize this plot badly. Like mm-hmm. I was I was kind of looking at like four other plot summaries as I was like kind of making mine just to kind of make sure I wasn't forgetting details of the film, which I know I did, <laughs> but. I also was what was reading plot summaries and going like people were like yeah and they have like a string of football games where they're like you know it's like no there's only one football game at the end and you know mm. that sort of thing so there's a ton of like people just like misremembering this film to some degree. Yeah. This is the kind of thing I would have really liked when I was 14. I think seeing it at 36, I kind of am like yeah you know it's 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 a charmer. 
Um, I liked it a lot. I went through it in one sitting, no problem. Um, but I don't know that I'm ever going to really want to revisit it. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's a rich enough like experience, even just on a kind of like cultural level, for me to like kind of respond to it. You know, to to really want to revisit it. But it was a, a nice little fun kind of goofy movie. You could talk about some of the rapey stuff, but like this is. I don't know. One of the things I want to talk about is kind of the difference between like something that's like explicitly pornography versus something that's like kind of meant to explore yeah. something. And, I, and I, I do want to kind of talk about that. But honestly, I think this is this is kind of um, it's funny to say it, but it is kind of just good, clean fun. You know, it's, it, it, it is it doesn't um, it doesn't seem to have a mean bone in its body, which is uh, something that is uh, really really useful uh, compared to something like the van, which we talked about last year. Which yeah. you know, there really are like some moments of that that just feel awful and mean and dirty there's nothing dirty about this it's so explicitly in this kind of like surreal comic universe that it's hard to really like fault it for anything that it's doing you know and i think this this movie was essentially um it was the the conception of it was kind of heralded by before this there was like i think it was like the stewardesses or the naughty stewardesses or whatever Mm -hmm. but but the director here is like basically interested in kind of running off of that sort of success of that film and it's like, we need more films about women and, and sexually liberated women in uniforms because, you know, yeah. you, have to, you have to have the fetish aspect of it. And so he picked cheerleaders and apparently he actually had trouble getting this movie off the ground for a while because a lot of people kind of balked at the idea that anyone would be interested in the sex lives of teenage girls, apparently, in, <laughs> in, in high school. <laughs> Because all these girls are basically like sixteen or seventeen, and in like as right. characters in the movie, of course they're they were much older. But the original financier of the movie apparently had objections to the movie, saying that he didn't think people were going to lust after high school cheerleaders. Apparently, uh, that that guy must have had an I mean, interesting I sex kind of life. Imagine, I kind of imagine this like kind of like guy in a leisure suit, like this kind of old Italian guy with a cigar <laughs> going like cheerleaders why would anyone care about the sex lives of cheerleaders you know <laughs> everybody wants a babushka these days <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I like i like this film i like the sort of recurring uh background themes and there's so there's like two or three different back background themes in it and the main title song is also really fun like that opening credit sequence i love that like uh sometimes i actually do just put on the dvd to watch that that opening credit sequence <laughs> For two two different reasons, of course. The the, oh, yeah, the yeah, main sure. reason, of course, is that these are like the shortest. Like, can these even be classified as skirts that these cheerleaders no, are wearing? There, there's definitely. I mean, and that's that's kind of the that's kind of where I go in terms of like this being like just explicitly fantasy and pornography. Mm-hmm. Is that is there's no attempt to make this anything at all realistic. There there's yeah. no attempt to like bring social realism or character or anything into this. Um, this is straight up a, a male fantasy of what like horny cheerleaders are like. And that's all this is. Um, and, this, and this director was definitely a fucking button legs, man. I gotta say, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, most know. of the shots on this. <laughs> I agreed. You know, and, and I mean, you know, it really is just like, you know, pretty girls who are happy to take their clothes off for the camera and, uh, you know, I mean, there's not a great performance in the film, I don't think. There's not, you know, I mean, you know, there's a early Jeannie. Jeannie is pretty good, you know? Yeah, um, she never, she she sadly never did anything else. This yeah, is no, her one credit. I was, yeah. I was looking at, I was looking at the, uh, the kind of the cast list, you know, oh, where did everybody go is kind of, I, I often do with these kind of films. And, you know, some people did out three or four films and, you know, like a half dozen, but, you know, for the most part, it's kind of, you know, yeah, we did a couple of, couple of films and then that was kind of it. 
Um, kind of surprising considering kind of how big a hit this was in some ways that, that these actresses never yeah uh, one on. But I, I kind of get the feeling they're not actresses. They're just kind of the girls that they found. Like it, it um, doesn't it doesn't it doesn't feel like these are professional actresses. Well, yeah, this was a this was a non-union film. Um, I mean, most of these people were just actually just locals that they brought in. Like the the yeah. football team, most of them were actual football players. Like that scene in the shower, a lot we of them were we'll wearing talk about that scene in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> But a lot of them were wearing towels and stuff because they were just like local guys that they got off the street, basically. And apparently a lot of them had to get drunk before they even did that scene. They were so, you know, embarrassed and shy to actually appear on camera that way, right? And a lot of the girls in this were just kind of new to it. I think the most experienced actress in this was Claire Dia, who played Susie, the redhead. And she actually went on to have, like, kind of, like, long porn career in the 70s. And she actually directed and produced porn as well. Oh, nice. I'll yeah. have to go look her up. And, uh, yeah, uh, I think the only other actor in this that actually had much of a career is probably uh, the guy who plays Coach Gannon, who, you know, the coach who can only get it up when he's listening to uh, past broadcasts of his old football glories. <laughs> in a, in a, I, I, as you do. Yeah, as you do. Uh, but he was actually in, like, tons of movies. He was in notable ones, of course, uh, Beneath the Valley of the Ultra Vixens and um, Bikini Car Wash Company, which I'm considering covering in this series. It might be one we do this time around. So, And also maybe... And he was also in Maniac Cop, apparently. Uh, although I don't, I don't rem- remember seeing him in it. Uh, we, we, ne- we never, we, we never covered, we never covered yeah. that film. So I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I've never seen that. Hold on, Maniac yeah. Cop. Is that hold on? Is that directed by Sam Raimi? No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. There's 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 nice setups in some of this stuff. Uh, the the scene with the coach where where he's listening to the past football uh, glory. I like how the audio mirrors what he's doing with with the cheerleader. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny. I like that uh, we have the like the sort of peephole scene that predates Porky's by like uh, several years. A couple of years. Porky's is seventy eight, so this is like yeah. five years old. Yeah. I like I like some of the Benny Hill esque kind of stuff in this. Like there's the there's the waterbed bear costume sequence where. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a, that's just a surreal sequence. Yeah. Um, and, and here's where I'm gonna like I th- when I was gonna write this plot summary, I thought about reviewing it or like summarizing it as an art film, um, like like pretending it was something that was like that, that kind of had like aspirations to high art. Because it's sequences like that, where I mean, there is like a dude in a bear costume, and there's like this like he's under the bed or he's you know trying to lick her feet and all that. No, I've got the two movies confused, but um, there is this there is this sequence with the waterbed, and it's, it, it, I mean, it's a funny sequence, but it also has like this really like surreal, you know, kind of almost abstract art film imagery to it. I think nowhere is that impulse more interesting than in the uh, boy locker or shower scene. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm literally watching it, and I'm thinking like this actually reminds me of a Clockwork Orange. I mean, which it, which it had come out just a year before. I mean, you know, it would have mm-hmm. would have been kind of on the minds of people. But in terms of the uh, the kind of the fast motion, in terms of the, some of the, the music that was used in that sequence, in terms of just the kind of, uh, I mean, there's kind of almost a lyrical beauty to the like the body is like writhing on the floor and they're all kind of grasping at her, and it could have come across as super super rapey, like like yeah. I mean, it, 
but there's a deft enough touch that it feels, and again, because it is this kind of heightened fantasy reality where it kind of just feels like there is this like female sexuality that just exudes through the film and that like seeing a, a woman, a naked woman, one of these cheerleaders, one of these like, you know, goddesses, it's just enough to, to just make uh, men completely obsessed and lose any sense of reality and just like want to, it's a, it's not a lot. They want to fuck her or take her. They just want to touch her almost, which is this yeah. kind of like it's, it's weird a funny thing. It's a funny thing too because she's in the she's in the shower taking a shower. Like they see her and they're walking in, they're not doing anything. One of them asks her, "What are you doing in here?" She says, "I'm a cheerleader," and that's what sets them off. Right, right. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a very um it's this very uh, interesting sequence. I mean, probably my favorite sequence in the film, just because it's it's so like, I mean, it's it's almost arresting visually. I mean, it's just it comes kind of out of left field, and I wasn't expecting it at all. I mean, I was expecting something. I mean, by the time we get to the '80s, you're kind of looking at a more like it. You'd get like a synth pop scene, and you get like kind of like a more like kind of like gasping girls like running and you know kind of yeah. like you know playing with water or whatever, and and you know dudes being douchebags. I mean, this this is much more on the. Uh, you know, just letting the visual moment play kind of side of things, which might have been just a budgetary kind of, you know, or just like they're yeah. professional actors sort of, you know, they, they didn't want to shoot coverage. They just shot it in wide and, you know, <laughs> sped it up in post or something. I don't know. But it's it's a really interesting sequence. Well, yeah, if they were, if the actors, like I said, if they were shy to even get on camera and most of them had to get drunk to do it, they, you kind of imagine they might have been shy to even, you know, be in the same shot as a as a naked woman, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> it might have been pretty... Pretty unnerving, even for them. But I mean, they they do get into it. And how about Norm there, the uh, the milk toast uh, boyfriend? Actually, you know, milk, he, milk, toast, milk toast is is uh, giving him a lot of credit. This, yeah. this is nebbish. <laughs> this is straight up nebbish. But I mean, you know, as much as of a fucking wet blanket pushover he is, uh, he actually does the right thing there and tries to get his girlfriend out of the fucking rape pile. Of yeah, no, actually, I mean, he's he's a you know, there is this you know, of course, there is this sense in which you know, I mean, a sexual prudery and a uh, kind of you know, uh, enforced sexual purity culture actually uh, helped her out in that case because he mm-hmm. is trying to rescue her from that. Although I never, and again, this is this is you know, I don't want to defend it for this, but I mean, it does it does sort of like. I never really thought she was in danger. You know, no. I never, you know, it never, it never, it never is played that way. And it, it isn't even played as, uh, you know, kind of blind to that. I think it, you know, it, it really does just feel like there, there's this, there's this charm to the way it plays out. I mean, you know, where, where it doesn't, it doesn't feel as, as, as aggressive as it might have. And it doesn't feel dirty and grungy and grimy the yeah. way that you might expect. Although it's weird because, um, didn't the, the head cheerleader makes the, uh, Makes the deal with the uh, predatory lesbian coach. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, basically, that uh, she'll keep her virginity for the rest of the season. Yeah, they're they're trying to. I thought there was a bet, right? So, yeah. like, it's so if she manages to keep her a virgin, then the other girl, the the coach, has to sleep with the one creepy guy, and then if yeah. she does have sex, then. The head cheerleader has to sleep with the other creepy guy, which is, uh, I mean, it's kind of a plot thread that goes nowhere. There's, there's sort a of the moment, you know. I mean, there, there's a couple of that stuff where it's just kind of like, yeah, this was in the script, and then you know, just kind of got dropped mm-hmm. completely. Yeah, I mean, and those two characters, the two creepy characters, kind of come back a couple of times, and you kind of mm-hmm. see them like perfect in the background. Um, but you know, they're, they're creepy. They're looking at the cheerleaders. You know, eh, whatever. 
the uh, the lesbian coach, the, uh, the the kind of lesbian sequence actually kind of struck me as it's kind of interesting in the film. Uh, yeah, it's got what was it? Uh, is it Beethoven that's playing like a version of Beethoven? I think something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I can't remember exactly what, but, it, but um, it's got one again, of those... another another kind of Kubrick moment, right? You know, the yeah. Clockwork Orange kind of bit where it's like, oh, we're gonna play, you know. And it's got that. It's got that, uh, it's got that exercise bike with the old style. Uh, uh, what are the uh, muscle tightening belts or whatever the hell they were supposed to be? Yeah, the, I don't know what those. You just see them in old timey movies, and it's like, oh, I don't know what that's supposed to do. I guess you know, it's just, <laughs> just a thing. It, um, yeah. I mean, it's a you know that's that's kind of where you just land on. This is just pure porn. Like, there's no mm-hmm. like. I mean, it's just like they're just doing this for a movie like this to have a lesbian sequence. You know, you normally would expect like, oh, you're gonna kind of play this for, you know, male gaze. You know, the way that mm-hmm. you know the you know, but it's really no more than the you know it, it isn't played as like this lascivious like you know oh look at look at the. They're not played as like lipstick lesbians, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Like it like it is kind of played a little bit more down to earth, a little bit more kind of, you know, what these kind of characters might actually be into in, in their real life sort of thing. So and I and I responded to that. Again, I had very low expectations of this film. So maybe <laughs> that's why, you know, kind of going like actually that, you know, it I hardly felt like there was a sexual assault happening at all. I mean it's it's there, but it's just kind of barely sexual assault, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's and, clearly a power imbalance, but you know. And then for and for the record, uh, the the actual reason she's putting her hands between uh, the the cheerleaders' legs is basically just to cover up her private parts, right? <laughs> so they don't get like a fucking X or NC seventeen or whatever. Uh, I, mean, you you, think, I mean, you were, I've been listening to the Rialto report a little bit um, mm-hmm. on your recommendation. The more you listen to that, the more you kind of get a sense of kind of what the porn business was like, kind of in the late seventies. So this is kind of before. Porn hit. This is before Beyond the Green Door. This is before uh, Deep Throat and that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, at this point, you know, the the hardcore porn industry would have been almost completely controlled by the mob. Like that's just the reality yeah. of the industry. And so, if you were gonna try to do these kind of pictures, you had to do these kind of nudie. Like you kind of went as far as you could, but the whole point was to do this kind of exploitation cinema, but to not make it hardcore. To do like softcore, just you know, kind of nudie stuff that's kind of obviously not actual penetration, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, to try to avoid the mob involvement, and so it's it's easy to imagine that this film had made five years later, it would have been an, a hardcore picture. Yeah, it's not, it's not hard to imagine. I mean. Um, and that kind of connects you right back to Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls, yeah, which, is, um, which is straight up. I mean, honestly, I think Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls might actually be a better, a, a more fun film even than this, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I didn't see this when I was 14. And I, or, you know, when I, you know, it's it's a sort of a, I don't know. I think I think this is the kind of thing I would have watched a lot had I had it on VHS in, in my, in, you know, in my teenage years. <laughs> Should we talk about the football scene? <laughs> I, I have one question to ask you before we get to that, though. There, there's a scene where the cheerleaders are hanging out at uh, Jeannie's place in the first half of the film. Of course, her, her perverted father is uh, getting his hands over everything he can, uh, cheerleader-wise. The, the, yeah, the, the the girl, he's teaching her how to play golf, right? Debbie, yeah, uh, my favorite, by the way, in this one. Um, yeah, <laughs> Debbie's like, oh, I like your balls. Uh, and, of course, golf balls, you know. But uh, his wife shows up. And his wife's like, oh, yeah, what are you doing? Uh, is that Coke for me, dear? Sure, have it. Uh, and she's like, she leaves, and basically before she does, so basically stay out of the rough. But she doesn't really chastise him. And I'm kind of wondering, are like these two kind of like secret kinksters where 
they're okay with other partners and uh, they're okay. He's, she's okay with, with him uh, maybe uh, frolicking with fucking the girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I, I kind of get that this is, you know, <laughs> I mean, you could, I wasn't even going to read any like psychological complexity to that. That's just, <laughs> that's just an excuse to make the stupid joke. But, um, you know, you can read it as just kind of like it's the reality of this film that like everybody's just kind of always making a double entendre. And so this is mm-hmm. just an excuse to, to do that. If you do try to view it like as, as a character moment, you can either view her as like completely oblivious to what's going on, which I think is kind of what's intended by the filmmakers is that, Oh, she's just the, the wife and she's just, you know, whatever. Uh, she's got um, a sly, she's got a sly look on her face though. When she's saying her line. Well, I think that's what's intended by the filmmakers. I think the, the actress kind of turn, puts it into a different uh, direction. Okay. The actress is kind of like selling it as like, she knows what's going on and you know, okay, do whatever you got to do, buddy. There are lots of different like character beats you can you can read into that, and none of which I'm actually going to want to talk about, just because like this film does not deserve that level of analysis. Yeah. But, um, Maybe I've just watched it far too many times. I think that's what it is. Well, you could you could read it as like you know sh- the boys will be boys kind of reading. You know, like mm-hmm. okay, yeah, do what you got to do, whatever. Oh, you. Yeah, you can read it as like you know this girl is not actually going to want to fuck you like because you're a hideous. Pig, you know, or you can read it as just, or you can read it as kind of like, oh yeah, go do your, have your fun, you know. And then maybe she's got the football player. She's got like five football players in yeah. her bedroom, you know, and they're just they're gonna come and run a train on her. Who knows, you know? So uh, you've got um, you've got lots of different uh, options here. There's there's a seedy underbelly to this film kind of happening off screen. Uh, even the bus drivers get laid in this movie. And he was actually a real bus driver. He was just like an, an extra they stuck on there, and he, and he probably had the best best time in his life right there. I mean, I can I can only imagine you know being like, oh yeah, I'm a bus driver, and then it's like, hey, we want you to act. Oh uh, yeah, how do you feel about uh, yeah? We got a pretty girl in a short skirt. She's gonna take off her clothes and like bounce on your thighs for a little bit, and we're gonna film it. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. sure, we can do that. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that being uh, basically the casting uh, process for this film. Because certainly they're not hiring for talent. No, <laughs> or, you know, no. It's a fun film. I mean, it really mm-hmm. does have. It really does have. There, there is such a charm going on in this, you know. And then we get to the kind of the big finale, where you find out all these women, the cheerleaders, are actually mag- magical succubi mm-hmm. who were able to like suck the life essence out of the football players and yet like maintain their youthful glow regardless of how much sex they've had they're they're yeah. completely and so <laughs> to the point where like one of my favorite shots in the film is are the two teams of football players like literally crawling yeah. one and like they're so <laughs> spent by the like orgasms they've had that they are dragging themselves bodily across the field, yeah. completely unable to move. <laughs> Which is, like, yeah, it's almost this surrealist art film kind of image. Like, I mean, you've put this in, like, a uh, yeah, like a Vim Vendors film, and it, like, has, like, meaning and interest and intrigue. And, like, here it is in this, like, really stupid sex comedy, like, that's just meant to show you tits from 1973. And yet, like there's an undeniable power to some of these images. I mean, it is kind of like, wow, that's actually really interesting that they chose to, to take it that far. They're not just like tired and not playing well. They're literally crawling along the ground. (laughs) (laughs) I I do. I do love the idea though. Like uh, they actually do follow through with one of the plot points where uh, the guy there who, you know, is actually friends with all the cheerleaders and stuff and like gets them out of class and stuff. 
he's secretly, you know, he's also a drug dealer. And uh, the janitor, the creepy janitor, will is his supplier, apparently. And the janitor, from someone high up, some plot point that they couldn't afford to film, apparently, you know, extra characters. But it's like, we need your team to throw the game. Um so he's like, okay, I got it, man. And of course, he does the rhyming shit too. And that that scene where they're talking at the drive-through or whatever, and uh, yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Uh, but yeah, he he actually his plan is I'm gonna have the cheerleaders fuck our team. And how they didn't know they were fucking their team, uh, that's beside the point, of course. They're just the cheerleaders. They don't. They don't. I mean, they don't know the names of any of the players yeah. or anything. Like, I mean, you know. <laughs> but but yeah, they 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 they, they basically fuck fuck the brains out of uh, their team. And they're like, and then the head cheerleader comes in, you fucked all of our team. We're in big trouble. We have to hit the town, go to the next town over or whatever, and fuck everyone in that team. <laughs> right, right. We have to fuck all them and, uh, and and rob them of their, you know, prowess. And therefore, like, the, the teams will be matched again. You know, yeah. Because they'll be, you know, completely worn out. Which is, I mean, what a weird plot point. I mean, just, just what a, like... <laughs> And again, it, it does play as porn just because, like, there's that one moment in the movie theater where they find the one guy, and they're like three oh, yeah. of them, they're like, down on the guy, and uh, like then it just you kind of pan over and like nobody's noticing that this is happening, like yeah. three feet behind them. Because I read it so clearly as pornography, as fantasy, I cut it a lot of slack because I, I think that policing fantasy and policing, you know, kind of something that is deliberately intended to be pornography. I mean, it, I, I, it definitely plays by different rules and something that's intended yeah. to have any kind of, you know, kind of realism to it, which is something I'm going to talk about when we talk about the next film, um, actually, <laughs> but because uh, there is, there is one particular moment that I think I definitely am going to have to like call this film out for. It's funny, like I was kind of coming on, I, I've kind of said all I have to say about this film, mm-hmm. I think, ever. I might revisit it and just kind of sit down and, and let it let it wash over me again. But it's it's just kind of a goofy, fun film. I would definitely recommend it. I'm actually interested in seeing some of the sequels, the uh, the, the couple of the sequels. Yeah, um, they're 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 not really sequels. Or it, it, this this film kind of hit off a series of cheerleader films uh, right. right after that. Right there was Revenge of the Cheerleaders uh, that actually uh, stars a young David Hasselhoff, of all people. Then there was The Swinging Cheerleaders, and uh, I think there might have been one or two other ones. For, for, for the most part, they're, like, they're, they're pretty much unconnected, but they've been connected, uh, like bundled in a DVD set. Like There's a right. Anchor Bay 3-disc set that came out in 2003. A company called Scorpion Releasing actually released a one-disc of this to Cheerleaders in 2015, and I think back in 2011, there was an Arrow release of the Cheerleaders and I think maybe the Swinging Cheerleaders or Revenge of the Cheerleaders, one or the other. A few, few little trivia notes here. Uh, the Beaver Car Wash <laughs> was an actual car wash with that name. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I was wondering if they actually did mock-ups. I was assuming that they did mock-ups for it and like that was you know, the whole thing. But um, yeah, the, the idea that that was actually the name of a car wash just uh, tells you all you need to know about Southern California in the seventies. <laughs> Interesting uh, note here: the uh, Monte Vista High School, where they filmed a lot of the scenes around and uh, on on location, they didn't realize that they were actually shooting a film this sort of uh, explicit. <laughs> they were only they only uh, learned of it afterwards. Oh, excuse me, when it was actually shown. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sure they would have been perfectly fine with it if they had known in advance. Yeah, so uh, hey, yeah, we're we're school and we have a parent teacher teachers association. Let's do a film about sixteen year old girls having sex with older men, and they, they, that is perfectly fine. We'll, we'll. And there's the the black girl who has the uh, literally like has a little modeling sequence in the middle of the film with mm-hmm. the the coach. Yeah. Which was one of the the kind of another one of those kind of interesting surreal like moments where he's like doing the uh, the bit with the uh, the kind of the wooden um, mock up oh, players well, and the... yeah that, that that wasn't the black girl that was uh, the the head uh, cheerleader oh okay I'm sorry I, I got them confused which one was which although 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 she has a interesting scene there where they're at the uh, at Jeannie's house and she sees Jeannie's brother who's like but by, by the way Jeannie's brother. What the fuck's wrong with this guy? He he walks in on their room and is like, "Can you guys keep this down? This music down? I'm trying to study." And he's going off to jerk off somewhere in, in the bathroom. <laughs> you know that's uh you know I get that like yeah, I, I, well, I, I, you know, I I was once a teenage boy. I don't know if you were, but you know I was a yeah teenage no boy. no I, I understand masturbation. I'm just like I wouldn't even need a magazine if I walked in on that room. Let's <laughs> put it that way. Uh, yeah. yeah. Maybe he just doesn't have a very good imagination or memory. You know, he's just like I gotta have the visual yeah. right in front of me. You know, yeah. I've gotta have you her, know, I gotta have her grinding on top of me. Yeah, he's not a mature enough masturbator to be able mm-hmm. to properly, um, you know, uh, <laughs> reach his <laughs> orgasm without the direct like stimulation in his visual cortex. You know, he's, he just he needs a little more practice. You know, he's so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think I already mentioned the budget. It was one hundred fifty-three thousand dollars. I don't know what the box office was, but apparently this made quite a bit of coin back in the day. It did very well for itself. So uh, I can imagine this being like a big drive-in movie. Yeah, I mean, just, just and in fact, there's a drive-in in the film, and then there's a, another film playing. Yeah. Oh shit! I didn't. I, I did not I, look up what film it was, but I know the actual producer of that film or the director of that film. One of the reasons this film got off the ground was that he collaborated with this film's director, and oh, nice. so, so that's why it's in the film, actually. Yeah. yeah, I actually, I actually wanted to see that film after you know I yeah. was like, oh yeah, this looks like a pretty decent little film. Let's we'll put that on the list. So I, I meant to look it up, and uh, I saw the title, but I, I can't, uh, I didn't uh, write it down. Yeah, uh, and and it's one I know too, and yet I can't remember the fucking name. But <laughs> oh well. <laughs> The blood of Dracula, or something. Now we're going to move on to our next film, One Night Only from 1986, directed by Timothy Bond, starring Lenore Zahn as Anne McGraw, Jeffrey McKay as Jamie, Ellen Uday as uh, Suzanne, Jeff Bronstein as Mac, Mark Walker as Jeremy, Judy Foster as Elizabeth, Wendy Lands as Jane, Harant Elinak as Winco, Martin Newfield as Johnny O., uh, Ken James as Wesley and Kathy Bain as Celine and Tabora Johnson as Luella. 
and uh, I'll let you go into your synopsis for this one, Daniel. When waitress Anne McGraw overhears a gangster planning a sex-crazed party for a famed local hockey team, the young woman decides this is no job for a man, especially when there's money to be made. Manipulating the situation, she takes over the planning of the party and convinces a few of her friends to whore themselves out for 50 big ones for one night only. wonder if that's where they got the title. <laughs> anyway, the plot thickens when to sweeten the pot, Anne enlists the help of professional prostitute Luella, who not only provides a certain magical Negro charm, but will also basically provide all the forward momentum the plot requires. <laughs> also of note is Anne's cousin James and his sin-obsessed police officer father, as well as Anne's sorority sister Jane, who stays out of the sordid business on feminist grounds. These three characters are basically in a movie of their own for most of the run until they, and the comically inept gangster, intersect at the party just before midnight, where Anne has promised the man of the hour a special treat ominously called the Scary Cave. Along the way, sexy hijinks ensue and many boobs are exposed. And what else could you ask from such a cinematic masterpiece? <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is a Canadian tax shelter film. Um, sure. If people are not familiar with what that is, that's basically tax credits given to films uh, in Canada. It was it was a it was a sort of a thing started in the 1970s and it ran through most of the 80s basically almost till the early 90s. There there still is like tax credits and stuff for films, but for a long time you would see a lot of uh, film producers and stuff from outside of Canada coming into Canada and basically making their films here for cheap. And that's where you got a lot of horror uh, exploitation, sex comedies, stuff like that in 1980s. Uh, Chances are, there's a good chance a lot of your favorite films from that sort of, those genres in that era may have been made in Canada. So, like, Porky's is a good example of, of one of those. But this is uh, probably the most fucking obscure of all of those films that, that I can find, because there's hardly anything on this. Like, Internet Movie <laughs> It doesn't Dead. have a Wikipedia article. Yeah, this film it, does not have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> In the Internet Movie Database does not even uh, list a writer for this film. Just, just a director. So well, I'm not sure there wasn't. Well, actually, I should. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was a little bit unfair compared to like this one. Script-wise, is a masterpiece compared to the cheerleaders. <laughs> yeah, but this is this was uh, this is one of those cheap films that um, it's one of these films that never really got a DVD release. So it's one of those ones that's kind of lost to VHS. I only got it from a well, actually a fairly half decent VHS rip, but a VHS rip all the same. And I know you torrented it, uh, Daniel, and you, you probably got the exact same copy I did, actually. Yeah, well, you, behind the scenes moment here, uh, Lee, you shared your copy with me that I couldn't oh, find. Oh, that's it. right. Like, I, I, could, I could not. Well, one of the things with, with locating some of these films is that like, trying to search one night only is basically impossible. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, so uh, it, was, uh, it was not in any way something that, like, I didn't put a ton of time into it. But yes, you actually provided the copy, so you and I watched the exact same copy. I, I I almost feel awful talking about a film this obscure because like so few of our so few members of our audience are are, are ever going to get a chance to watch it. But the the version that we saw literally has like uh you know like dialogue it does not match up with the sound at some mm-hmm. you know, lips don't match up with the sound at sometimes. Um, I mean, I was almost looking for a tracking button. <laughs> on the yes. VCR at a certain point, and you can uh, see the bad the- tracking at times where it skips and shit too. Yeah, yeah, you can you can see this is clearly a VHS rip. It's a shame that like this is just the form that these things happen in, and it's mm. also just kind of a reminder that I mean this isn't I mean this was made in my lifetime. This was you know I, this is not like something from like 1935 or something that's yeah. kind of you know, now obscure and lost. This is this was made just a few years ago. 
on the scale of things, and is basically not only forgotten. I mean, you know, just it's just kind of a listing on IMDb, but basically you can't buy it unless you spend ninety six dollars on. I, I I looked at it uh, on Amazon. You can buy a VHS mm-hmm. of this. They have one copy in stock for ninety six dollars or something like that. One of the issues we run into is that like. I saw a statistic where something like 80% of all the films that were released on VHS never made the transition to DVD. Mm-hmm. So you think about all the films that were ever put on DVD and the VHS was that much bigger in a yeah. lot of ways, you know, although, I mean, obviously because all the, most of the stuff that's on DVD was like released after the yeah. beginning of DVD. So it's hard to like talk about like our cultural heritage or something like this, but our cultural <laughs> heritage has been lost. And this is really one of those cases to where, I mean, I, I know you can kind of argue like intellectual property and like the rights of the, the people who made it to, to be able to, you know, kind of make money off of it. But this is something where I, I just, I really feel like these kinds of things, they should be shared in whatever form we have them in, you know, and, yeah. and keep, and keep spreading that around. So if you do have a, a, VHS rep of this, a digital copy. Do not get rid of it. Keep it, share it, do whatever you can, you know, and other films of this nature, because I'm really hoping that one day all this stuff ends up on like the Internet Archive where, you know, yeah. like whatever form we have it in, just so that it's still there, just so it's not completely lost, because this this film could very easily be lost in the next, I mean, very shortly without uh, without like people actively trying to like save them, you know. Yeah, and the first time I saw this actually was uh, late 90s, early 2000s, I think. Uh, we have two channels up here in Canada. They're uh, Bravo and uh, Showcase. You guys in the U.S. have some sort of equivalent to those, but these were I think these were kind of um, copy channels of existing channels in Britain, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Bravo is Bravo was kind of the arts and entertainment channel for a lot of years, and then it mm-hmm. kind of became like the Real Housewives channel. And Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of become the gay channel these days, which is great, but I mean, it's, it's very much like kind of the, uh, they do a lot of, uh, you know, kind of gossip shows from, um, you know, but both 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 those channels, the game in, you know. yeah, both both those channels filled the gap that A and E left essentially when the A and E really went down fucking hill. But yeah, they were showing all this, you know, all this like really high class stuff, and then every once in a while, because these are TV channels and they have to fill time, they'd buy cheap programming, right? And that's where they're they've ended up where they're just buying cheap programming all the time now. But we have to fill it with something, so hey, someone's got a tape library of all these obscure exploitation kind of films, uh, tax shelter write-offs and stuff like that, sitting somewhere. Hey, we'll buy them for cheap and we'll run them like several times, and uh, you know, especially on the weekends. And that's where I saw this right next. I saw so many films on like TBS on like 3 p.m. on a Saturday, sort mm-hmm. of thing. Like it, you know. Yeah, same thing, but here they could actually show the nudity and everything, right? So, yeah. So that's the first time I saw this, and I was like, "Wow, where did this film come from?" Because this is a film that's like wall-to-wall nudity almost after about the fifteen-minute mark or so. (laughs) Yeah, the the opening of the film is kind of. uh, I mean, you kind of get you know the kind of characters they're doing that. You you get the setup of the plot, and then once you get to the party, it's pretty much straight up nudity all the way through and even even kind of before you get there you get you know a little bit here and there yeah it delivers the goods there's no i mean both of these films really i mean they do they know why you're here and mm-hmm. they they don't play around with that game i mean it's very you know like like some of these films kind of oh we're gonna play coy we're gonna kind of do the, no no no. <laughs> you see a character you see a woman on screen she's gonna show her boobs pretty quickly that, yeah. that's that's what's that, that's what you're here for that's what this film delivers a lot more plot in this one than in the cheerleaders, mm-hmm. where the cheerleaders is kind of, you know, there's some interesting stuff, but it's it's not really on a story level. It's kind of on a, you know, just 
what the fuck are they doing level. And this really has kind of several plot threads. I mean, it's got a, a bit of a through line, you know, because you got your main character um, who's trying to uh, make sure the party goes off. She's trying to figure out what the scary cave is. Which yeah. I kept wanting to call the Cave of Fear and think of it as a Doctor Who story with Tom Baker and uh, <laughs> Jameson, you know? Okay, now picture Tom Baker in a fucking miner's hat. Uh, Tom, Tom Baker doing the, the Cave of Fear, you know, yeah. like, uh, going through that uh, the thing. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that here momentarily. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you've got the um, the kind of the, the slight, not conflict, but just the kind of interaction between the, the kind of college girls and the uh, the prostitutes. Yep. Um, you kind of get some of that kind of element. And you've got both the gangster, um, the, the kind of uh, <laughs> fifth or sixth generation Humphrey Bogart parody gangster <laughs> guy. Um, coming after the party and trying to find the party at the same time that the uh, the cop, the the father of the mm-hmm. boy, is also trying to find the party. So there are these kind of like it is it is almost a sense of like these kind of interconnected plot threads that are actually pretty well executed for for a film yeah. of this kind. You know, I mean, it's 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 not always easy to make this kind of seem painless. And, and here it is, you know, I hate using the word painless to describe it. Shane, actually watched this with me. My wife watched this with me. And uh, at the end of the movie, she's like, wow, is that the worst movie you've ever done on this podcast? And I'm like, baby girl, you have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty, that's pretty par for the course, really. Like that's a, that's pretty solid. You know, there, there's, there are like things I admire about that, you know, Hell of the Living Dead, this ain't, you know. <laughs> Definitely not, yeah. I, I do like this a lot. Like, this movie is very Canadian. Um, you, you Well, the, the centralization of hockey is just, like, by bias. Yeah, and it's set in the wintertime. It's got a hockey team that is... They can't call it the Montreal Canadiens, but it's the Montreal Canadiens, essentially. There, There's actors here who are obviously French-Canadian actors who have been dubbed... Uh, the, actually, the majority of the cast is all Canadian. I, I don't think that actually there's any Americans in this hardly at all. And it's interesting that this is one of those Canadian tax shelter films. And honestly, most of the time you find in these films, unlike some of the American exploitation stuff, most of these actors go on to do other stuff because they, they're just you know doing a job like they're they're just hardworking job to job actors. And a lot of these people just had careers that just went on afterwards like for right up till now the the actress who played uh the the main prostitute uh what is her name lenora uh, luella luella um that actress uh, is still working today she's still doing television in like mm-hmm. 2015 you know and uh lenora zahn uh who is the main character she is a australian canadian actress who is also a politician here in nova scotia in Truro bible hill uh, for the ndp party here new new democratic party and she still acts as well, on and off. And she did a lot of voice acting. And uh, yeah. actually, a couple of these actresses uh, I was familiar with because a lot of them had done, uh, well, a couple of, the, of them had done uh, horror movies before before then, like a couple of tax shelter Canadian horror movies. Uh, sure. uh, Lenore Zahn was, was in Happy Birthday to Me and Visiting Hours. The amazing Ellen Uday who I absolutely love. She's fucking amazing. She was in Pinball Summer, My Bloody Valentine. Uh, I think we could do a podcast, not even a series, but a podcast on these Canadian tax shelter films. I would love to watch a bunch of these with you. Yeah. Um, you know, j- just because you have this uh, like glee 
and talking about them. I know, I know the the audience can't hear, but Lee's like grinning and like talking about like in memories of these films, and uh, you know, I think it, it's very fetching on Lee. Um, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think we should let Lee watch more of these. Ellen Uday was in the Dead Zone as well, so she was like in one of uh, David Cronenberg's biggest pictures. You know, like yeah. there's a lot of actually really good actors in here. Um, Ken James, who plays Wesley. Uh, is he not like basically uh, a less ethnic Paul Zervino? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I can go for that. I like his character because he's like the stereotypical American, like John Wayne kind of type. Like, and there's that scene where he's where he's got the gun up to uh, Wendy's head. Oh and, yeah. Or that's, Jane's. That's, that's the scene, really. I mean, that's and, that's the. Um... That's and this is this is kind of where like you know you know how I gave cheerleader to the cheerleaders a bunch of credit because like mm-hmm. yeah yeah this is just kind of porn and like whatever and you know nobody's really being that hostile man um, this cop is a just completely abusing his power uh, to, mm-hmm. to go on his own thing but also like threatens this girl with death like literally points a gun to her to her head and then she ends up fucking him afterwards and yeah. like. And uh, like, no, this is this is not okay with me. This is this is like deeply, deeply troubling. It's weird, isn't it? Because like, this this film, honestly, it could have they they could have made a different film here. They could have made a well, film well, that turned into a horror movie. Well, yeah, I mean, it could very easily. I mean, you know, um, and I mean, just to say like that's the like feminist character who is mm-hmm. then like turned to you know like wanted to fuck this guy or whatever. Like, it's I just want to throw that in. Going back to your your point about it being a horror movie, I mean. You could very easily play this as, as kind of a thriller, where you know, oh, we're doing this party, you well, know, the, but the, yeah, the pimp the with the switchblade going around killing everyone in the party, right? <laughs> yeah, if the if the gangster wasn't a like bumbling buffoon, but was actually someone you know that you kind of got a sense of threat from, you could absolutely play it that way. I mean, you know, there, there is a kind of alternate version of this, you know, one night only, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It ends in blood, you know. Like it's, uh, you could see it as, as kind of a thriller or even just a straight up slasher movie, which, I mean, would be just as interesting. I think you know you could very easily play it that way. And then the cop is like, you know, I mean, the cop is the real monster in this film. I just, yeah. you know, he, he he's, he's really and he's portrayed as that. I mean, you know, he's he's the one kind of he's the American, right? So he's got to be the one who's like obsessed with sin, and you know, like. Uh, He's got his gun in his Bible. He's got his Bible cut out for his gun, and he's got it in there. And and he has that line, I'm an American cop. You know what I'm capable of. Right, exactly. Like, Which is uh, very, you know, as, as the as the American on the podcast, I'm like, yeah, no, uh, this, this, uh, the, these ideas of police brutality, they went away like, like a year after this. There was no, no yeah. further uh, worry about this. But um, yeah, no, I, that, that, that character is such a, a sore note for me in the film just because mm-hmm. he's so, I get that he's over the top. He's meant to be over the top. I don't have a problem with that. But the way that, like, once you kind of introduce him into the film, you kind of have to deal with him in some way, you know? And it, yeah. it's kind of one of those, like, they didn't quite, like, they wanted to kind of, like, bring him out there and kind of, like, provide the, the kind of ending of the film some some heft. But then once they decided to do that, they, they kind of unbalance all that section of the film, and they, they kind of, by treating him as a joke, they kind of treat the, the way that Janie is treated is, is definitely treated as, as a joke as well. And uh, Yeah, well, I, I didn't even I didn't even read Jane as, as necessarily feminist. I read her as kind of like a conservative prude who, 
I think the joke, the, the kind of joke was that she was into like this authoritative daddy figure to boss her around. I thought that was kind of the joke there. I, I, I found like the, the actual sorority girls setting up the party were much more like, I mean, not necessarily hardcore feminist, but a lot more feminist than she was because they're actually taking like assertive action and they're well, like trying I- to do stuff. I don't think, I mean, as the, as the, you know, I, I, I self-identify as a feminist. So, you know, I, you know, realistically, yes, I think that the, the other women in the film are, are behaving much more as kind of a modern, like kind of a um, third wave, you know, sex positive feminists would behave, particularly the prostitute who I think is, is just, yeah. just a delight. She was definitely my favorite character, despite the fact that I can't remember her. Luella, Luella was yeah. my favorite character in the film. Like no, like no questions asked. She was the one that I was really <laughs> down with all the way through but i think jane is portrayed as uh, i mean because she's sitting and she's reading because she's she's kind of objecting to i mean she has a line that's something like you know why would you do that with your body and that sort of thing i mean i think that it does come out of those kinds of uh, anti-porn wars that were kind of going on in the 80s and the, in the 70s and the 80s um i think she is um supposed to be portrayed as something of like the the kind of intellectual bookish women's studies type um, just a little bit. And I and, think that that's the, you know, I think that, you know, then that also makes it worse when like the cop comes in and points a gun at her and suddenly she's like, oh, I just needed a strong man to like put me in my place, you know? Well, I, I think she's even That's fine that if you play it as a kink relationship. I'm fine with that. Yeah. You know, like it, something well, that, might, that might be part of it. Um, although the film to really, you know, it, it doesn't really... Yeah, <laughs> go go into I'm, that. In I'm any putting detail. I'm putting a little bit too much emphasis on this on this element of it. It was a it was a sore note to where I'm like I had issues with it, but I didn't let it bother me just because the rest mm-hmm. of the film is is kind of fun and goofy, and it's obviously not really trying to. And this film obviously isn't like important enough to really like <laughs> really like hang that entire issue on. Well, uh, it's like it is something that's like that was I think that's definitely going on in the, in the filmmakers like like. The reason they did this was because they were trying to like put one over on the you know yeah. the brainy girl you know the the prude who secretly is a hypocrite because she likes to masturbate with her loofah in the bathtub, right? <laughs> her long dick sized loofah or whatever the fuck that thing is she's sponging off with. Um, well, then again, that's one of those things where like the I mean the real feminist action is like taking control of your own pleasure, you know. So mm-hmm. so there is that kind of that element as well. Again, it's it's a false note in the film. I think the actress is really good. I think she almost sells the character. Um, she was. Well, well, I really enjoyed her performance. Well, there's an interesting note here. Did you notice the uh, book she was reading when she was in the tub? I did not. I caught the title, but then forgot it. Yeah, it's a book called uh, "Morning Becomes Electra," which is an yeah. adaptation of uh, Austria, uh, or I'm probably pronounced Austria or Estria. I guess it is uh, a Greek mm-hmm. tragedy that actually involves themes of incest. And Oedipus complexes, which both come out in this film. <laughs> yeah, cousin cousin love is, is is a thing, you know. Yeah, I, I just um, I just I just want to put this out there for anyone listening. Canadian society does not accept cousin fucking. Just so you know, because it's not brought up as an issue at all in this film, but it's a thing that happens in this film, and no one objects to it. Just let you know in case I, someone in case someone manages I, to see this film. Don't judge Canada by this film. You did. You did say earlier that Canada had two TV channels. So you know there there is that. <laughs> Nobody in this film has a problem with the fact that these cousins are in love with each other and want to fuck. 
I mean, at first, at first, I didn't even like process that they were cousins because you know, like, so I'll be honest. A lot of times, watching the beginning of these films, I'm just kind of like, yeah, then plot, plot, plot. Now, just okay, show me, like, give me to the actual thing that's happening, you know, whatever. And so, kind of like eliding over the details of who these characters are to one another. It's just kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, and then people are going to start getting naked, and then the like actual stuff I came to this movie for is going to start happening. <laughs> but then it's like, wait a minute, they're cousins. Yeah. Well, because it just it suddenly dawns on me, like, and and no one is questioning this. Like, it's not like they're very explicitly. You could have easily coded them as not cousins. They didn't mm-hmm. have to be cousins. Somebody made the decision to make them cousins, and yeah. then like kept that through every draft, like both drafts of the script. Because I assume there were only two, if there were even two uh, drafts <laughs> of the script. And then they that just that's just the thing that happens in the film. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. assuming I'm assuming they're saying like these are like very distant cousins because the guy Jamie he's he's American and his father's American. They're from like Plattsburgh or whatever, New York. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the, I guess that's the that's the okay. It's okay for them to fuck because they're distant cousins and they're Canadian and American. You know, I guess that's the idea. <laughs> I think I think I think on, on Jamie's part of you, it's just like you know what happens in Canada stays in Canada. Yeah, it's kind of like hey, I'm in Canada now, you know. What, it's what fucking happened? cold. We gotta snuggle for warmth. Get what, over what, these what, Canadian winters. What happens in crazy prostitute fucking lobsters biting on my junk hockey player party stays in that fucking crazy lobster junk hockey player party apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I want to I, I want to throw a special shout out to uh, the one who played Elizabeth. Yeah, I think that's the character, the one that's like dressed up in the uh, uh, Montreal Canadiens attire, where she's wearing basically just a thong. Yep, yep. <laughs> Loved it, and she has the nice thigh the thigh high uh, uh, stockings or whatever too. Looked really good. <laughs> I mean, there there's a lot of I mean, you know, there is this um, you know. <laughs> Among aficionados of these uh, kinds of sex comedies, there is the eternal debate: seventies boobs or eighties boobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. It really is a matter of taste, right? In the cheerleaders, everyone in that is like natural, and I didn't see anyone here who didn't necessarily. Maybe one girl looked like she had work done. Yeah. That, that was that was the one getting fucked up against the uh, window there. <laughs> <laughs> to put them on the glass moment. That moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But the rest of them all looked natural to me. I didn't. I didn't notice any others. Like everyone looked good. All the ladies in both films are ex- incredibly attractive. Yeah, I I did. Uh, I did find uh, with the cheerleaders that the you know the the kind of um, you know if we're just kind of viewing on a very superficial level, I mean they they do kind of look a little bit like couldn't get into Playboy types. You know, it yeah. it, it, it does feel a little bit you know kind of like oh they've kind of got that thing, but they don't really have the spark. You know, and then here, I mean. We're just kind of suffering from the aesthetics of the '80s to some degree. Yeah, where, yeah. where I mean, th- that's just always the thing. Whenever you look at anything, like, oh yeah, she was she was supposed to be super hot, but it was 1986, and so like she just kind of. I mean, I think I think uh, Luella is the one who really you know who who um, rises above that just because you know she gets to be the sassy black woman and therefore mm-hmm. kind of gets to not have to have the the feathered hair and the kind of the yeah, you know, the shoulder pads and all that stuff. Exactly. And she just gets to sit there and chastise all the white people. Girl, do you even speak English? And you know and and, he, and, and here what the fuck is that with her accent? Like I'm know. like is this is this half Brooklyn, half Creole? I mean what's what's happening? No, no, no. Oh no that's a Montreal accent. 
Oh, is that a Montreal accent? Is that no, okay? It's, it's not a Montreal accent at all, but it's supposed to be a Montreal <laughs> accent, apparently. <Okay. laughs> I, I also want to mention uh, there's two montage scenes uh, sequences in the opening of this film. There's the phone call montage, which goes mm-hmm. on for like five minutes. Then there's yeah. the try on underwear montage, which I enjoyed a lot more. It also goes on for about five minutes. And then they do no other montages. For some reason, <laughs> I was kind of amazed at that um, the phone call montage because I'm like, they they shot like there's a lot of coverage here, you know. Mm-hmm. Usually, when you've got like a low budget film and they're doing a montage, it's kind of like you know, oh, this is something we could give to a second unit and kind of throw a bunch of shit together and not have to uh, pay a lot of money for it. But this is like we've got our like a bunch of actors talking on phones and like different angles and different locations and different, and maybe they basically just had like one room that they just redressed a bunch of times and got it done. But it definitely felt like, why are we doing this? Like, it, <laughs> you know, there's not even like nudity. I think there's like, the one sequence there's where there's one like, scene where getting fucked, with you know, you know she's on the phone getting fucked. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I get, I mean, maybe they were just trying to build that. I don't know. It just felt like this, it is kind of like when you see these kind of low budget films, and then you see the thing that they decided to spend money on, and you yeah. know about like film production, and you're like, "What? How? How did you do? Like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know what this is for. Like, I'm just, I don't, yeah. I fundamentally don't know what this is for. You've seen Stray Dog, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, the Kurosawa film. Yeah. There's like a nine minute sequence at the beginning, which is just you know our our lead kind of walking through the ruins of you know Tokyo, yeah. and uh, film historians kind of credit that as. Uh, this is like the last moment that this existed and Kurosawa wanted to document it. And so basically he just put it in the film. That's sort mm-hmm. of the, the basic. So I kind of like interpret that uh, phone montage is basically right before the cell phone becomes ubiquitous. They're just trying to document the, the existence of, of landlines. Well, that's, and, that's, uh, you know, uh, that's interesting. Cause there's actually two mobile phone scenes in the, like they, the, the rich sorority sister where they host the party. She's got like one of those. And then the yeah, pimp yeah. himself has a mobile phone. Yeah. He has he's, to pull up getting, the antenna first. He has to pull up the antenna and stick it out the window. Yeah. Stick it out the car window, which, uh, you know, you, it, it was 1986 and you knew a character was an asshole when they had a car phone. Like that yeah. was just, <laughs> it, you know, and so he's almost like he's coded as kind of like Bogart. Mm-hmm. Is this kind of like comic distillation of Bogart and this kind of violent pimp, but also kind of like a yuppie, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, so, so he's kind of, there are lots of different ideas that are kind of going in play. I mean, you just get the sense that there's a line of cocaine always off screen with this guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause he's laughing at everything. Like, Hey, I got my mobile phone and he starts laughing. And why are you laughing? You're laughing at the fact that you, you have a phone in your car? Like, <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> it's, it's a hell of a drug. Yeah. Um, um, so we talking about the, the scary sc- cave? Scary cave, <laughs> I think. That's the Bravo uh, sort of prof- So, So here. did you have an expectation of what this was going to be when you uh, first watched the film? I did not expect this. I, I definitely did not. But, wow, <laughs> that's quite the sequence. That's... Uh, <laughs> So Shane and I had a debate uh, when we were watching, or kind of not a debate, a conversation. She's like, "Is it anal? Is that what he's getting? Like, is that the midnight like okay, the scary thinking, cave is yeah. anal? You know?" And I'm like, "No, they built it up too much. Like, and I was thinking it was going to be something involving like a girl with like a mouse trap in her pussy or something. Like, I was thinking it was going to be like you know, like really explicitly like you know, scary, you know, like like torture porn kind of thing. And then when you actually get there and you see it, and it's like." Again, kind of this like really 
interesting visually sequence of this this guy who just apparently he gets off one time a year when he can set up this thing and yeah. uh you know i mean you gotta think like how do you get like 20 girls to agree i mean it's doable i'm not saying it's not mm-hmm. doable but you know you gotta think like this is this has got to be like you know he, he waits all year for this you yeah. know you get and i'll explain it for the listeners because there's probably no one's gonna see this fucking film <laughs> in, our, in our listenership. So essentially what this is, the scary cave is this long human centipede without the, you know, attachment to mouth to anus kind of thing of women, beautiful women, uh, topless, wearing panties, and they're all done in a row all through the hallway of this house. And they're bent over. They kind of have their legs spread, yes. spread and they're kind of bent over over each other's. Like, yeah. so one girl's tits kind of in front of the other girl's like butt sort of thing. Yeah. And so they're they're faceless and they kind of form this tunnel of like um, this kind of triangular tunnel of like pussy and tits and facelessness. And and then and the dude a, like he lies on his back and he's got a miner's helmet on. Yeah. And then he like crawls through it and uh, you know gets off that way. Well, it's interesting because he, he crawls through it on his back and he's looking upwards and he's seeing these. And then, by the way, the panties all these girls are wearing are like sequined panties. Like, right, right. They're, so well, it's very. Well, well, Luella Luella had four whole minutes to set this thing up. So you yeah. know that like she really went all out and got, oh, yeah, four minutes. I can I can find 20 girls and get them in like matching sequined panties and set oh, this well, up. Oh, well, she probably had, had sequined panties out in her truck. It's like, girls, yeah, go yeah, get the sequined panties. Um, oh, go get sequined panties C2. You know, not the yeah. C3 one, C2. You know, like she's got it. She had it. She knew exactly which pairs to get. They were all sized appropriately. It was. It was a thing. Yeah, this this crack is only playing five thousand. So don't get the good ones. Get the oh, you know well, B level ones. Fifty big ones. You interpret that as five thousand because I was like five thousand seems a little low for all. Yeah, you know, like like fifty thousand is kind of what I was thinking. Well, you know? I, I think it was. I think it was fifty thousand. But I think the deal was that the uh, sorority girls had to split it with her and then she had to split it among everyone else and right right, right yeah so yeah that was so, like five thousand dollars split among like the 30 people that end up showing up to this thing is not <laughs> that much money even in 1986 yeah yeah so anyway he goes through his scary cave as it is and he comes out the end and you almost kind of wonder if that's almost a, a womb kind of reference because he's basically given birth because he's wearing a diaper he, he's got this right. sort of baby fetish uh, kind of they, thing. They, they definitely play it that way. I mean, you could. I wasn't necessarily going to talk about the the fetish, um, the, the fetish side of this, but I mean, there's certainly an element of, uh, you know, he he's being reborn. He kind of comes in, yeah, and he's comforted by all the women. Like it, it's not like what gets him off. I mean, he does enjoy the view while he's going through it, but it seems like the real kind of emotional catharsis is, you know, the the kind of being comforted and held. And, yeah, he and he, hug, he hugs Luella in a blonde wig and a in a bathrobe, dressed up as mom, and then all the girls sort of crowd around him and spank him a little bit and, yeah. and hug him and yeah, that's the like you know the wah thing you know where he's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, like oh baby baby needs his bottle you know yeah and after that of course that kicks off the whole the end scene where all the storylines come together and you have the chase to the house and uh, Ellen Uday's finds the. Uh, the stuck-up hockey player only wants to think about hockey, but uh, and, and the whole sort of crux of bringing him to the party was like, like to try to loosen him up and get him laid and drunk. Yeah. And then the, 
she and also there's and apparently he's got the big dick. Like yeah, that was because, the, you know, yeah, because that's, that's, that's what she was after was a big dick the whole yeah, time. That, you know? that was her subplot because she she goes through like a couple guys on the team and she's just you know every time she sees one of these guys jump she's like oh like oh yeah. disappointing. She, 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 she's a, she's a bit of a size queen, and you know, like I'm, you know, I'm not a large man, but uh, you know, I ha- I have a certain respect for you know if that's the thing you're into and that's what you that's what you need, like go for it, like that's yeah. that's you know find your pleasure, that's that you know <laughs> I, I'm good with that, you know. And I gotta say, I love her. Uh, she's, she's she's my favorite good. in this. She's great. I mean, you know, um, <laughs> I think the fact that you that you love her and I love Luella kind of speaks to our preferences in terms mm-hmm. of you know. Both characters and possibly sexual partners, so you know yeah. there there is that. But um, yeah, and uh, honestly, I don't really have anything else to say about it. I like it. I think it's really good, obscure sex yeah, yeah. comedy. I mean, really super obscure. Um, I'd never heard of it. I mean, you know, and uh, you know, I'd never seen it. But I'm really glad I got to see it. Um, Shana thought it was awful. I didn't think it was awful. <laughs> I thought it was perfectly uh, kind of acceptable, you know, in Sex County from 1986. I really liked the bumbling gangster. I really mm-hmm. I, I kind of liked, um, you know, uh, there's some tunnel issues in terms of, like, he's a threat, but then he's not a threat. Yeah. You know, he's he's kind of, you know, he's kind of goofing around, but he's not. Um, but, you know, a lot of, like, 80s comedies kind of have this issue, and even, like, 80s, like, action movies kind of, like, have this yeah. issue of, like, how to play that kind of balance between comedy and and threat you know from the heavy so um i don't i don't mark it too strongly about that you could argue this is kind of a proto-feminist kind of thing but i'm not really gonna yeah it's not worth that it's not even worth arguing honestly i mean it's 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 fine um it's it's just kind of it's a goofy movie it's got a lot of boobs in it it should probably have a dvd release i mean i would think like uh, i mean i i think this is definitely something that i would hope that one day it does get kind of a proper release in a lot of these films i kind of question if i kind of question if there's even a good master out there anymore that even exists right so right but even even just taking the like the VHS that's out there and just like taking them and archiving them in some way and like putting them out there for for you know that's, for for collection. Yeah, that's the thing. Out, there's know. there's a lot of lesser films out there that have gotten DVD releases. So you know, I mean this this pan and scan version. I mean obviously, I mean it would be better to see the widescreen and, mm-hmm. and you know, all that sort of thing. But what I what I'm left with and, and, and it's hard to like say. I mean this isn't like a masterpiece of a film. No, but it's good enough to be worth preserving. It's good yeah. enough that like people should get to see it, and in kind of looking at like the other films that these guys produced and, and that sort of thing, there are a lot of films like this that that have like that are that are basically suffering this fate of being just completely forgotten, and um, that's just it's just a fucking shame. And, and I and I really hope that some company steps up and figures out a way to preserve these. Yeah, you know, I mean or, that's, that's or some group. You know. That's one of the small reasons why I wanted to actually do it on the podcast was just like to kind of document it almost. Not that I'm like, you know, some altruistic fucking savior of Canadian cinema or some bullshit like that. But it's like I've never seen anyone else talk about this film and I kind of liked it. I thought it was kind of fun and 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 it's definitely I've seen a lot fucking worse. So it's like someone should probably say something about it and, you know. I would probably rewatch this before I'd watch the cheerleaders again. Oh, really? Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, not not to say it's a better film, but it's it's more of a film. 
just yeah, yeah just yeah. just it actually has a plot yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um i feel like there are depths to the there there are like I, I actually am kind of interested in like following the threads of the different characters a little bit more mm-hmm. whereas i think the cheerleaders i mean you know it's it's kind of all surface right like it, yeah two two decent films you know like neither one is the no citizen kane this week no well but, we, we we might get that next week when we do hard bodies that that, that might be okay, Citizen Kane okay. for you yeah but daniel tell everyone where they can find you on the interweb i do a podcast with my wife uh it's called Oi spaceman uh we have a bunch of different threads we've done some uh, uh doctor who was kind of where we started but we do red dwarf and we've done some bonus stuff and we got some other stuff coming up one of those things is they must be destroyed on site which kind of gets posted along with Oi spaceman mm-hmm. and uh hopefully we're gonna start that homicide life on the street podcast yeah. here pretty soon and uh, all of that you can find at OilySpaceMan.com. I also write a kind of weekly-ish uh, sex and gender column over to RootedForumPress.com. So go check that out as well if you like listening to me talk about uh, orgasms. Yeah, and your your article about Death Proof was uh, exceptionally good. So uh, it's worth reading. Yeah, I think next week I'm going to talk about cucks. Ah, cucks. Yeah, I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about the cuckold fetish and how. The alt right, right wing, uh, conservative, uh, kitty Nazis don't understand it at all. So, yeah, that, <laughs> nice. that's what I'm gonna write about next week, right? On, and of course, you can find everything that Daniel and I do on tmbdos.podbean.com. And of course, the best place to go to talk to us is They Must Be Destroyed on Site on Facebook. That's the best place to put your comments and questions. That's the best place to find uh, other people talking about shit on this podcast, and we respond to everything. So uh, we, we look forward to getting more comments and questions. Uh, it, it could be anything, criticisms, uh, requests for movies, uh, anything. We just want people to talk back to us because we want to engage the community. So give us names of actors you want to hear us talk about at the beginning of hmm. episodes. You know, give give us give us uh, just anything like like uh, throw it out there. We don't have to just review movies. We can do all kinds of things. You know, yeah. Hey, let's talk about Emmanuel Kant on an episode. Let's let's talk about Critique of Pure Reason on an episode of this podcast. We'll read Critique of Pure Reason, and then do a detailed like you know phenomenological analysis of um you know that philosophical system. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to read a book. Maybe people should just give us ideas for movie god game because we haven't done that in a while. We haven't so. done movie god in a while either. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I would. I think uh, you know, send those private messages to Lee so he can well, like hurt me with movie god. If if you're going to give us suggestions for movie god, just direct message me in my inbox or you know, yeah. so. or or me if you want me to give them to Lee. That would, yeah. that would be the yeah. other option. So yeah, but um, but yeah, we 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 definitely want feedback. Don't be shy. Um, even if, if you have something just totally unrelated to the podcast, uh, the episode in question, you know, you just want to talk about something, uh, we're, that's what it's for, because we want to talk movies and stuff, so. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, we bullshit with people all the time on the internet. Like, it's just mm-hmm. it's just a thing we do now. Like, you know, so if you come and, like, chat with us on, like, the Facebook page or, you know, on, on our Twitter or whatever, we'll probably get into a conversation with you. Like, it's it's just a thing. Yeah, be more I mean, like that's, you know, why, that's why we do a podcast, right? To talk yeah. to people. Well, I mean, you know, be more like one of our like really good posters on on the Facebook page, like Cameron Sullivan, who's always like dumping stuff on our on our group. You know. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay, uh, we're gonna go out. I think we're gonna go out on the uh, Honey Boys. Uh, I like what you're doing to me from the cheerleaders. I think that's the one. And man, I had to go to some extreme lengths to. I had basically had to rip this from the actual movie itself. 
uh, a version of it anyway from the movie itself just to get it for the podcast because apparently it just disappeared off fucking YouTube. It was here like a month or so ago when fucking Badass Boobs and Body Counts did the fucking their episode on the cheerleaders. But after that, apparently they destroyed the internet and no one can fucking have the song anymore. So You should have just ripped it from them. Yeah, I could have, but I don't want to steal from them. <laughs> They're our friends. I don't want to steal from our friends. If, if they were they our enemies, friends, if they were our enemies, I would steal from them, but yeah. Yeah, fair enough. The the Badass Boobs and Body Counts podcast must be destroyed on site. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, check out their episode on the cheerleaders as well. Uh, it's really good. So I will. Now that I've seen the cheerleaders, I'm going to go back and check that out because I was curious about it. And in fact, downloaded the cheerleaders on the, like, I'm going to listen to their episode that I told you I had. And you're like, oh, we should throw that in the sex comedy series. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Now I can't listen to that episode because <laughs> we're going to talk about it on this show. So Nice. All right, guys, uh, we're going to take off. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with, at the very least, Hard, hard Bodies. Uh, and I don't know what the second film's going to be. We'll, we'll, we'll decide, and we'll let you know beforehand on the Facebook group. And until then, thank you, Daniel, for joining me. And Thanks so much for having me, as always. And yeah. until next week, uh, think about the jiggle. Yeah, think about the jiggle, or uh, jump into the scary cave, one or the other. <laughs> one or the other, yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. 
There you can also find links to us at iTunes and YouTube, as well as our Facebook group link, which is the best way to get in touch with us. We welcome all comments, questions, movie review suggestions, and criticisms, and we do our best to respond to everyone. You can also find us at Daniel's recently launched OispaceMan.com, where you can find his sci-fi theme podcasts about Doctor Who and Red Dwarf. Thank you. Drive through.